You are listening to the Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to the Techie Leadership Show. Today with me I have Belle Walker. She is an organizational efficiency engineer taking organizations from friction to function. Bell is also the founder and lead consultant of Bellevue Consulting, where she uses system thinking to ensure alignment across strategy and execution. With engineering degrees from Harvard and USC and experience reading from project management at Google to engineering director at Here Technologies, she brings a wealth of technical and operational knowledge to clients across industries. Hello, Bell, and welcome to the show. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited about our discussion today. Yeah, I'm also really excited. I'm really looking for, like from assistance thinking perspective, what is the viewpoint on leadership and how it works. But before we get into that, do you want to add anything else about yourself? Um, I think the, the overview you provided is a, a great summary. Um, I think the only thing I would add is to give a little bit of context on how I went from engineering degrees into a business consulting world. And it's because yeah. I see a ton of overlap between the way that engineers approach problem solving and the way that uh, leaders, managers, and others um, can better support their teams. And so my favorite example I like to use is that with a mechanical engineering background, I don't know any mechanical or civil engineers who would design a bridge, draw up a bunch of blueprints, and hand them over saying, make it out of steel and you'll be fine. Right? Steel is a meaningless <laughs> term. It's, there's a million different types and finishes and bits and pieces, and yet uh, steel is something that we kind of think of as being relatively consistent with subtle differences, and we constantly draw organizational charts on paper and design these complex structures and hand them over and say, make it out of people and you'll be fine. <laughs> and when you put it in that context, you realize it's, it's kind of crazy, right? Of course, you can't just completely abstractly design a structure for people and expect that the people will slot in perfectly when you wouldn't do that with something like steel. Um, and so that, for me was a very crystallizing moment where I realized that there was really was something we could bring from engineering into organizations and, and leadership perspectives. And that is true. And especially a little more detail never hurts, especially if you're in like in the implementation phase, if you're just in the <laughs> brainstorming phase, okay, you don't have to be that detailed. Right. But when you say like, go do this, the, this should be really, really concrete. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of history with scientific management of, of being this notion that people are interchangeable cogs in a machine, but cogs aren't interchangeable, right? Like if you have a machine made out of cogs, yes. there are differences across them. You would never make a machine out of the same type of cog. It's nonsense. And so uh, the idea that 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 you know, nonsense principle would then apply for people is silly, but actual engineers who were designing a machine out of cogs would go into great detail about the strengths, weaknesses, characteristics they need. And we should always be doing the same thing when we're thinking about people, really understanding them, their individual motivations and aspirations and building that into our human machinery. 
Exactly. And this like reminds me like, I don't know if you have the same saying, but here in Romina, especially in the tech field, it's a lot like having the silicon lock, which when you buy like technology, when you buy CPUs, sometimes you buy a cheaper one, but because, but it actually performs like in the higher bracket. And it depends because when they manufacture the CPUs, they have they all have imperfections and they try to test them. And they say, if they have this many imperfections, they're A grade. If they have this many, they're B grade. And so it goes. But sometimes you have like, so it's not uniform. And even two CPUs from the same batch that are A grade, they're not going to run the same. <laughs> so even if you want to make it the same with all the work and everything, and you have a lot of wastage in, uh, in the industry due to this. And it's all about having luck. And with people also. You, sometimes you have like a star performer who does a great job and then he, he has to leave or you get you start like a disagreement with him, which is not a great idea. And then he leaves and you find out it's really hard to get somebody else to replace him. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's uh, and there's there's risks around building a structure around one star performer. Yes. And so it's something you always have to bear in mind. Sometimes it's a risk worth taking, but you need to understand the the potential consequences of those decisions. Then, right. like silicon lock, you also have to have people lock. If you're a little lucky, it's okay. It's better. Yeah. Uh, so, Bill, let's start with the question. What is the biggest leadership success story you've witnessed personally? This was a really good question. And I'll be honest, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. And I've been a bit depressed to realize it's difficult for me to think of strong examples. Uh, I felt like I had a plethora of options to choose from when I was thinking about failures, um, but successes are so difficult to pin down. And, and I'm going to skip ahead a little bit um, and talk about my leadership philosophy here, because I think that that's fundamental to my answer to this question. Okay. So what uh, is your leadership philosophy? <laughs> so my leadership philosophy, uh, the sort of driving principle is that um, a a leader's uh, a strong leader is best represented by a successful team because a team's successes are the team they are the team successes right there's almost nothing i've ever seen that a leader can do to guarantee a team's success what they can do is enable empower uplift but they cannot yes. single-handedly drag a team into success on the other hand, there are a million ways that a leader can single-handedly prevent success. And so I, I then <laughs> feel like a team's failure is the leader's failure, right? The leader, their job is to uh, troubleshoot and enable and unblock and basically prevent failure. But it's the team, you know, the team has to bring to the table and build themselves up to to that successful point and so when i think about true leadership success stories what i look for is successful organizations and successful teams where you haven't really heard about the leader 
right? For me, that's oh. pure leadership success is the team is not only successful, but is recognized and rewarded for that success that they have brought to the table. Um, and then at the same time, I consider it true leadership success when there is a failure and the leader takes accountability and responsibility. And so nice. um, I, in, I would like to, to use as my example of, of a biggest leadership success um, an occasion when uh, I saw a team, man, I'm gonna do this very generically because I've seen it several times, but a team failed to hit their deadlines, failed to hit their goals, and the leader of the team stood up and said, that's on me, right? I am accountable. I am responsible for this team. And so this is not the team's failure. This is my responsibility. And they, you know, recognize that their role, um, and so whether or not they achieve the goals, I consider it a leadership success to take on that ownership in those scenarios. Yeah, as a leader, the box stops at you and you right and that this is the hard part that everybody thinks like when you think like i want to go into management it's going to be so awesome said if everything goes right i can take all the praises if everything goes wrong i'll i can dumping <laughs> dump it on other people and it's the other way around if you want to be a good leader so it, it doesn't work out like the <laughs> the main perception is and the sad thing is it happens a lot. That, that's why we have this perception like, oh, management, uh, when there are problems is, is because of us, when it's good is because of them. So you have all this constant, this friction between execution and management because people that, uh, that accede to management have like a, a bad perception of how to be a leader. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that there's, there is a very selfish reason as well to take that accountability and that ownership, because if you don't, how can you learn, right? Those moments, those failures, when you say, this is on me, this is my responsibility, then the next step is to say, so what, what happened and what can I do differently next time? And then you do it differently next time. And I, I feel it, it it's like in sort of broader tech Silicon Valley, we talk about the value of failure and how uh, important it is to have had failures and to have had opportunities to learn so that you can bring those to the table and how it increases your chances of long-term success. The exact same thing is true in a leadership context, right? You're going to be a more successful leader if you know what you've done wrong in the past and can avoid those mistakes than if you've always been successful and have no idea why. <laughs> and you're just setting yourself yes. up for a fall in the future. Uh, and from, from my own experience, it's, it's, it makes sense. It's logical. It's easy to, uh, to, think, to see the value in failure. Experiencing it is really hard. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. There is nothing about failure that feels fun. It's not fun at all. So uh, you don't want to get too much value that way. Right, <laughs> <all possible>. right. <laughs> at least uh, this one point of view. But you, you, it's good that you, you still get to learn 
from it. So if you succeed, usually you learn more from failures than you learn from success. After like a big success, you think like back, like how can I recreate this moving forward? And you think you can, but usually reality shows you that you cannot do it. You didn't learn that much from success. Exactly. Uh, and since we're talking about failures, what is the biggest leadership failure you had the unfortunate experience of witnessing? Yeah, so as I mentioned before, I thought about this quite a bit too because I feel like leadership failures are common. common. Um, and what I ended up deciding is that I've, I've seen entire leadership chains where the leaders... Um, failed to be advocates for the teams for which they were responsible. And so this is a case where I'm talking about um, leaders who are also managers. So I also have a leadership philosophy that leaders and managers are like rectangles and squares. Not all leaders <laughs> need to be managers, but all managers do need to be leaders. Um, oh. And so specifically, I'm thinking about leaders who are also managers, I think that they have an additional account level of accountability to the people that they lead because it's a formal leadership. Um, and so I've seen cases where managers uh, are not advocating for their teams. Um, and so they tell their stakeholders always yes, no matter what the ask is, no matter what the capabilities of the team are. And then they turn to their team and say, you must do this. Um, so basically the, the anti-agile approach. Um, yes, and, that is. And I'm, I'm drawing a distinction here between leaders who have misestimated the capability of the team and leaders who completely refuse to advocate. Because one is, I think, a, a mistake that you can learn from and iterate and is a natural part of building and, and maturing a team. The other, when you refuse to advocate at all, you just say yes, yes, yes. You're not helping your team. You're not helping yourself. No one is winning in that scenario. And I have seen from the CEO on down in an organization where the CEO to customers will never say no. Yeah, it, I've seen it also. And it hurts. <laughs> Yeah. And so for me, I consider that to be sort of the biggest leadership fail I've personally witnessed is when no one in an organization is willing to say no, because that's a crucial part of supporting and enabling and empowering a team. Even, you know, you have to say yes sometimes, but you also have to say no sometimes. Yeah, well, and the lack of pushback, it's, it's something that it's becoming more and more pervasive as I see like in the industry, like with clients and then inside the company. So everybody says yes, yes, yes. And they take on stuff that maybe they can do it or maybe they shouldn't do it, but because they said yes, they have no other options. And from my point of view, my advice is like, if you're a team lead manager and you represent your, your small corner of, the of the company and during a big meeting you get something to get done um, always push back even if you know it's like they estimate it's, it's five days of work and you know your team could do it in one day still push back on it be known as the guy that pushes back and it's it's better to give like longer 
finishing terms and finishing finishing the project faster everybody's going to be happy in that situation but if you give like um, you said goals that um, you never reach everybody's going to be not 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 that happy with the performance of yourself and the team yeah and there's there's some nuances there around the idea of blue sky thinking and setting seemingly impossible goals and finding ways to achieve them but you need to, you know, if you're going to play the game where you set an impossible goal, you have to be aware of what the constraints on your team are going to be. Because when you say, you know, and there's plenty of examples of this and lots of books written about teams that achieved the impossible. And one of the most constant themes is that they were given the freedom and the flexibility to, to think outside and act outside their existing box in seeking to achieve those goals. And so it's not enough to say, I want you to do the impossible. You have to say, I want you to do the impossible and I'm going to give you the, the freedom to do so. And re realistically, that's not an option in many, many cases. More often, there are very real constraints that are imposed by the organization, by the resources available. And so you have to temper the goals and the expectations that you're setting with the flexibility and keep, you know, and capabilities of the team that you're working with. Yeah. And uh, you open like this idea of blue sky and impossible goals. It's, it's nice to, to be able to achieve it. One thing that's, from my personal experience is cannot set like timelines for for it it's impossible that's why it's an impossible goal if somebody's going to crack it it might take a week it might take a year it might never get done but you cannot say like oh, by this date is going to be cracked and you guys have to have the solution and you have to do it as, just as you said you cannot expect doing the same type of work to generate the solution to an impossible <laughs> problem you exactly. need to let people to think some some of them think better when they're walking some of them might have to go to the library everybody has different styles i for example i just like to meditate <laughs> on stuff read a lot of books and then to, uh, spend time doing something else meditating uh, listening to music it looks like i'm doing nothing and it from from a manager's point of view, it's awful. <laughs> it is absolutely awful. Like I'm paying this guy and he, he isn't doing nothing, but I'm working on solving the tough problem and it takes time and it has to filter for your brain and get all the information, put it together. And once you have it, implementing it, it's really fast, but getting to the concept, super hard. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, uh, it's something that good leaders understand. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't have the opportunity to work with leaders that understand the whole process that if you want innovation and you want new stuff, you have to wait and have people that look like they're doing nothing around the office or at home, wherever they are, and having like meetings where the, the information is still, still processing. Yeah. <laughs> uh. And and it goes, but well, moving on for um, 
for aspiring leaders? What would be the top three leadership tips you would have for them? Yeah, so I think the, the top leadership tip that I have, number one, is to give as much credit and recognition as you can. Um, and not to say good job, right? Good job does not convey a clear sense of accomplishment. You know, you need to be very specific and say, you know, you did excellent work on this project and achieved this result. Or, you know, you found this huge issue and we're going to, it's going to set back the overall project timeline, but it's, we know that now as opposed to delivering to a customer with a huge problem, right? Finding ways yes. to recognize the good work that your team is doing on a regular basis is incredibly motivating for them. Finding ways to emphasize the value of the work they're doing, even when, you know, like in the case of a, an extended timeline, the result may feel uh, negative. It's, that's the most important time to be recognizing yes. what you appreciate out of the situation. Um, and it's going to make you look better, right? If your team is constantly being recognized and rewarded for the great work that they're doing, people are going to notice that your teams constantly do good work, constantly have things to be recognized, <laughs> and that will reflect well on you. So it's, it's really a win-win. You're going to encourage and motivate and inspire your team to keep working hard because they know they'll be recognized and rewarded. And it's going to be good for your career too. So give as much recognition yeah. as you possibly can on an ongoing basis is my top recommendation. Um, my second is to remember that enabling is a key aspect of successful team leadership. So coming back to the leaders versus managers again, when you're responsible for a team, um, this, this gets into that wonderful world of micromanagement, right? And people are terrified of micromanagement as they should be micromanagement is effectively never the right approach. But I often see leaders who are so afraid of micromanagement that they offer no support to their teams and no guidance. And the complete and total absence does work for some people, but not the majority of people, right? Most people need some degree of support. And the, the example I like to use there is going to a restaurant, right? If you go to a restaurant and there's no menu and you're expected to order something that the kitchen can make with the ingredients they have in the style the chef knows to get what you want. That is not only a recipe for disaster, but it's, it's very overwhelming and stressful for the person who's going to order for most people. A menu does not completely restrict what's going on. I mean, you went to a restaurant knowing that they had a menu, so you knew there were going to be some restrictions. You yes. also know roughly what the cuisine is, you know roughly, and that menu is an incredibly enabling form of structure and constraint. And managers need to find that balance for their teams as well, right? It's not that you come in and say, you know, the, the waiter does not come up to you and say, here's what you're going to order, setting aside fixed price, very specific circumstances. But again, we've opted into that. Most of the time, the waiter says, here are your choices. And those choices are freeing and empowering because 
that limitation is is a helpful, valuable one. And so I would bring that into management as well. Micromanagement, not helpful, but a complete and total lack of structure can also be very difficult for your team. Um, And my third uh, is you asked about aspiring leaders, and I would ask, why are you aspiring? Right, there's no reason anyone cannot become a leader, right? You don't have to be a manager to be a leader. You can start setting good examples, inspiring and motivating your colleagues. You can find gaps in the organization. In you know, maybe there's no technical uh, forum for a programming language that you're an expert in. And you could start a monthly meeting where people can exchange ideas. Or maybe there's... Um, there's a, there's a million opportunities and examples where you can find ways to start building team building exercises for the organization, right? There's, there's very few reasons I've ever seen for someone who wants to be a leader, uh, why they can't start right away. So that's my third tip is if you describe yourself as an aspiring leader, ask yourself, why are you aspiring and not leading yeah. already? Stop aspiring and find the, there's also an opportunity to take leadership role like the examples you don't have to be like anointed a manager to also become a leader you can start all kinds of circles and discussions and inside an organization and the the really interesting thing is that you're going to get promoted to a manager position because of the actions you take Uh, because people see like he has leadership qualities he has a drive he is doing stuff to improve the quality of the workplace is not confined just, or she is not confined just for uh, at what what has to do like on a daily basis for the job. He has, or she has real interests and they want to, and they're taking action on it. And that's something that gets noticed and you get promoted. Now, Bill, uh, uh, what I would be interested in is if do you have like some formula or um, some ways to when when it comes to giving credit and uh, offering recognition, do you have like a process to do it? Yeah, um, I I do. I think there's there's some great formulas out there in terms of how to structure recognition. So making sure that you include who they are, what they did that inspired you, uh, that you are recognizing as specific as possible. Um, and what the positive impact of that uh, work was. Um, so in, in terms of a, a bit, you know, a, a very basic who, what, why um, in formulating that praise and recognition. Um, and then in terms of how often you deliver it, if praise is not something that comes naturally to you, um, I recommend starting slow and with accountability. So find a, a partner, a buddy, and commit to them that you will offer some praise that's in the structured format once a week, right? Pick a day and say, Tuesdays are gonna be praise days. And then you sit down and on Tuesday, you make sure that you've come up with something. And what you'll find over time is that it'll be a Thursday and you realize this is something, this is praise you wanna give. And then on Friday, there's other praise that you wanna give and why, why store it up? Why wait till Tuesday? Offer the praise as you see it, right? And what may start as an exercise where you have to really sit and think about your week to find things to praise. If you make that a routine and a habit, 
you'll start seeing opportunities elsewhere and that gives you a way to build up. Yeah. Um, one thing that I could add like to this is also look at the people that you have in your team. Some of them might like public praises. Some might like, like private praises, um, some more, some less. So try to tailor make, not just spray the praises <laughs> equally because some people, for example, me, if I would get like praised uh, each week after two or three weeks, I would say something is wrong here. Like what, what's with all this praise? Okay, I understand that I'm doing good work, but it feels something is off. So people can get spooked by too, <laughs> too many praises sometimes. Well, I, I think that comes back to the structural piece, right? And, and I think there is something around the notion of praise in public, uh, support in private. Um, if you only praise and you never offer that framework and that guidance and that structural support to your team, then when it comes time for promotions and recognition, if someone has only heard praise and they don't get a promotion, they don't get the highest possible bonus multiplier. Yes. Right. You have to you have to explain to them now why what's that discrepancy and you have not been supporting them because they have not been given the tools they need to truly excel and exceed and so i would sort of mm -hmm. modify and, and note that part of supporting your team is being very clear with them what are the opportunities they have for improvement and that might be because they're underperforming right that it's easy to think of ways to give people guidance when they're underperforming but even people who are meeting your expectations or even exceeding them if they're exceeding your expectations but they're not on track for the highest possible recognition and reward you could give you still need to be explaining to them what they could be doing to get there right it's it's an ongoing conversation and I think that's such a, a crucial thing. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up, right? Being clear that praise is important and motivates, but you also have to provide the framework and the structure for people to understand how to continue going above and beyond if they want to. Uh, and exactly as you say, it's an ongoing conversation and that's your job as a leader. And also as a manager, from my point of view, you, you, talk constantly with your team and help them succeed, become better and protect them, shield them from other departments, other bosses that are more higher up or from the problems, take all the blame, fall on the sword if it's necessary. But the ongoing conversation, it's what you do as a leader. And it's, you're not in production anymore. It's talking and talking. It's a, from my point of view, it's like, a melting pot of psychology, <laughs> human sciences, and uh, taking all your all the information that you had, like when you were doing the stuff, so you can help them or guide them to become better. You're in, you're more of a coach than a manager, actually. <laughs> yeah, the coaching piece is a huge aspect of it. Yeah, um, yeah, that uh. you can manage the projects and you can manage the work of the team, right? But the individuals need to be coached, supported, inspired, enabled. Exactly. And that's why, from my point of view, many people that were great performers, they get promoted. And then you have like the classy, every person gets promoted to <laughs> one step above their talent base. 
Uh, now, Bell, I'm really interested in what is the book that had the most profound impact on you? Yeah, I don't know that there's a particular book um, that had the most profound okay. impact on me, um, but there was a there was a moment that I often come back to um, when I was oh. fairly young. Um, we were uh, my family. I have a lot of family in New Zealand, and so we had gone to visit family down there, and we were watching uh, a bunch of penguins at this penguin colony. And there was a road that went through uh, the colony that they used for maintenance and support. Um, and so it wasn't very trafficked, but the penguins understood that there was something different about the road. And the road was between the penguins and the water. And it was lunchtime, they were, they were hungry, they wanted to get into the ocean. Um, and so they all clustered at one side of the road and then individual penguins would like slowly start going farther into the road and then get scared and come back uh, and then go slowly and get scared and come back. And then finally one penguin ran all the way across the road. But it didn't immediately change everything. We, it wasn't until uh, like two or three penguins had made it all the way across the road that suddenly the wave of penguins went running <laughs> across the road. And it was just this unbelievable dynamic of watching as the entire flock of them fed off of each other and it took a whole bunch of different penguins making more and more progress before anyone fully succeeded and then it took a couple of them fully succeeding for everyone to get across and it was um i, th I see that all the time in people right you see those moments where um sometimes leadership and setting a good example just means getting a little farther than anyone else and that that's okay. And then the next person can build on what you did and can build on what you did. And eventually you'll all get there. And so I'll, I'll use that I moment like that. instead of a book. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a great, it's a great moment. And penguins in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. Penguins are yeah. fabulous. And it's true. You, you have like this movement, you see like people testing a little and some of their friends see that they're testing and they have a little success and, they say, yeah, if they can do it. I know them from so, for so long time. I can also do it. And inching away, and in a way, it's important, like, what friends you have. Uh, now, also, like, this week I found out, which is really funny because you're talking about penguins, I found out that penguins sometimes are known to sometimes push another penguin in the water to see if it's safe or not. <laughs> Maybe that's one element of the penguin behavior we will not emulate <laughs> as good leaders. Yes, yes. Don't do that. Don't right. Don't do that. <laughs> but it happens. It ha sometimes you see it like in bad leadership or no leadership situations. Like you jump in and tell me how it is. Yeah. <sighs> and well, if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? Uh, for people who want to learn more about me, I recommend going to my uh, Bellevue Consulting website. So it's bellevueconsulting.com, B-E-L-L-E-V-I-E-W, consulting.com. And the link should be in the show notes. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes for sure. Awesome. And there's, huh. uh, in particular right now, I'm offering a, a workshop around leadership and culture in the um, sort of mid-pandemic world, we've had a chance to learn a lot about what remote work um, and entirely remote work for companies that already had some remote work has brought to our culture and our dynamic. 
Um, and I think there's an opportunity right now to take time to see what elements of uh, the last couple months have been positive and we want to make sure we carry forward. And so I, I think doing that now rather than waiting until there's another awesome. large sweeping change is really valuable. So for anyone who's interested in that, there's also uh, some details about those workshops on the website. For sure. And I rec highly recommend people to go check out the website, especially having this information, I think is crucial. And it's <clears throat> the way we work is going to be changed after this, all this pandemic. And it's from the, at least from the reports that I'm getting, it's not over. It's, it's just slowly, slowly going away. So it's, it will take a time, some time until we um, we're out of it and our work relationships are going to be different and it's good to be informed and do some workshops and Bell has the information so check them out. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It has been a delight. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe and share please. Oh, you can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.